Amen. Like a moon that is a reflection of a greater light, we want to shine for Him. We uh, will be having an experience with the Lord in just a moment through communion, through receiving the Lord's Supper. As you can see, we have it prepared down here. And of course, uh, the Scriptures exhort us to examine ourselves and not receive of the bread and the cup unworthily. And so let me encourage you to take the uh, next few minutes of uh, this talk to kind of ready your heart and center yourself uh, on the Lord's presence and get in a place that uh, you're, you're communing with Him and that these elements are representative of how your heart's connecting with His heart, okay? That'll be in just a few minutes. Well, it was the fall of my sophomore year in high school, way back. Some of you have a good start to your school week, I hope. Uh, my sophomore year was memorable for a lot of reasons. But uh, as the fall began to move on, it became uh, the most memorable time of my entire life because I was sitting in my living room minding my own business on a Saturday morning, kind of late morning, probably around 11, 11.30 in the morning when a knock came on my door. And I opened the door and there stood my best friend who was the son of a pastor and a man who I later would learn was a deacon from his church. And they were out on church visitation. Now, how many of you know what church visitation is? Let me see what you... Yeah, it's like 20% of you. I didn't know. I didn't have a clue that they were there on church visitation, which basically is this uh, idea that, that church people would go out once a week and they would knock on the door and visit with prospects. And I was a prospect. I didn't know what a prospect was, but it basically is someone that has some level of connection to people in a church, and they care about you, they love you, they've been praying for you, and so they wanted to talk to me about Jesus. I didn't know all this. They're just standing at my door, and they said, can we come in? And I said, well, sure, come on in. So they came in, we sat down in my living room, and uh, we chatted about basketball for just a minute because my friend was a teammate. And the guy that was with him was actually a high school referee, so I kind of seen him around a little bit. And one thing led to another, and they began to talk to me about Jesus, which I found altogether curious. You know, we'd, I knew these guys from the basketball world, and now they're talking to me about Jesus. And they're telling me how much Jesus means to them. And I'm like, wow, that's something else. And they started telling me about what they thought it would mean to my life if Jesus was in my life. Now, I, w I had been curious for a little while about what does it mean to be a Christian. In fact, I'd asked my mother one day, uh, we were not church-going people, I was not a church-going person, and I said, you know, what is a Christian anyway? And my mother gave me that classic, well, America is a Christian nation, honey, and so every American is a Christian. No kidding. She said that to me. So I just figured I was a Christian because I was a good American. So they started talking to me about whether I wanted to have Jesus in my life and to follow him and to be a Christian. And I'm thinking, well, I thought I was, but if I'm not, I think I'm interested. And they told me a little bit more about it. And at one point, the man, John, said to me, so Scott, is there any reason why you wouldn't want to give your life to Jesus today? And... I wanted to. So I immediately said, no, there's no reason I'd like to. 
And he said, well, would you like to just pray with us right now? And ask Christ to come into your life to be your Lord and to be your Savior. And I said, sure. And my parents were off in the kitchen and I could hear a little rumbling. But I was like, sure. Yeah, okay. And so they said, well, why don't we just kneel right here? So we knelt in my living room, which was like a first. And we began to pray. And I, I, I probably had said a prayer or two, but, you know, it, it really, I didn't know what that was all about. But John said to me, I'm going to kind of pray, and if what I'm saying kind of says what you want to say to God, then you just you say it after me. And so he prayed something like this, and I've prayed it uh, with some of you before. God, I know I'm a sinner, and I need a Savior. And I believe that Jesus is the Savior. Would you forgive me of my sin? Would you make me a child of God? Would you take me home to heaven someday when I die? Amen. And, you know, there weren't like rockets and missiles and fireworks and all that, but something very profound happened in my heart that day as a 15-year-old kneeling in my living room, and unexpectedly, I found tears streaming down my cheeks, not fully comprehending the whole thing, just knowing something very special had happened. Friends, Christ had pursued me. He had come looking for me, and He had used the lives of a couple of people who had been in proximity to me to say, if you want to know Christ, if you want to follow Christ, here's how it can happen. And the Bible tells us that He pursues all people. He has pursued you. And many of you have responded to that and given your heart to Christ like I did as a 15-year-old. Some of you haven't made that step yet. You haven't crossed that line of faith yet. But I just want to remind you, if you didn't already know, He's pursuing you. That's a loving pursuit. Sometimes the old preachers from years ago used to talk about Jesus respectfully as the hound of heaven. And, of course, that conjures up an image. But uh, uh, he is. He's kind of on your trail uh, wooing you. Not trying to attack you, but to connect with you. Well, they told me, hey, here's a couple of next steps that you're really going to want to think about. You really need to get involved in a church because that's where you are helped to grow in your faith and to, to know Christ better. And we'd love for you to come visit ours. And so I said, well, sure, I'll come. And like I said, this was a Saturday. And so they said, why don't you come tomorrow? I said, yeah, Sunday? Okay, sure. I didn't have plans. And uh, they said, and, and it would also be important for you to take a, a kind of a public step and let people know you're going to be a Christ follower. So at the end of the pastor's message, he's going to invite people to come to the front if they want to follow Jesus. And we would encourage you, just go to the front, shake his hand, and tell him that you've decided you want to be a follower of Christ. Now, um, crowds was not my thing. And so I, I was a little wary of this, but it was something I wanted to do. I wanted to follow Christ and take this important step. So I go to church the next day, and to my surprise, it was a little church of about 800. And like I said, I, I, 
crowds are not my thing. And so I'm like petrified through the whole service. I have no clue what the service was about because all I can think about was at the end, I'm going to get up and I'm going to walk in front of 800 people. And, and sure enough, at the end of the service, I got up, I walked all the way down to the front, I shook the pastor's hand and said, I want to be a follower of Christ. And he said, good, I want to ask you to turn around and say that to everybody. <laughs> you know, I really was. I was petrified. He actually did the talking. I just kind of, you know, shook my head that, yes, I'm following Jesus. And about a week later, I got, I got baptized, just like we're going to do next week, right here. I took a step to, to basically say to the whole world, uh, I'm a follower of Christ by being immersed in the water uh, as a sign of being immersed into his presence. Well, let me tell you, as a high schooler, um, I, I was not a stellar Christian right off the bat because basically I didn't know what it was about. And basically my friends didn't know what it was about. And so uh, having this kind of relationship with Jesus was just minimized down to I'm going to try to be the best person I can be. I'm going to try to be a good person. And let me just tell you, uh, I was good, some, and I was not good, some more. And that's kind of the way high school went. And I went off to college as an 18-year-old, still not really up on what does it mean to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. I knew my heart was connected to Him, and I wanted to be moral, and I wanted to be a good person, but this kind of like living, real-life relationship thing was just on the real low end. But then when I got to college, I met some guys, some upperclassmen, who had a real, vibrant relationship with Jesus. I'd never seen anything like it. And they were talking about how they would have conversations with God. And we do call that prayer, but it was a lot more than bowing your head and folding your hands and you know spouting a platitude. They were having conversations with God. They were talking about being able to hear God, not in an audible way, but uh, that He would communicate with their thoughts or He would communicate with some, you know kind of a feeling in their heart. And they were talking about how God was doing miracles. They would pray for this and God would answer that prayer. And they would see God move, and they would see God act. And I'm going to tell you, I became thirsty for what they were talking about, for this relationship with Jesus. And in October of my freshman year in college, I had a profound, you know, by-my-bedside moment of, I don't want to play the church game, the Christian game anymore, God. I want this relationship stuff that these other guys talk about with you. I'm serious about it. And from that point to this, I have begun to know God in that kind of way. And so I began to just experiment in my relationship with God. And I would ask God to speak to me like He spoke to some of my friends and to communicate to me and show me things. And you know what? I would, I would ask God questions... And then just be quiet to see if anything came. And you know what? Something came. He began to communicate to my heart. Thoughts would begin to come and feelings would begin to come. And I would have a sense of what God was trying to communicate to me. I remember one night I was praying for a friend of mine that was in a real financial crisis. And he was really on my heart and I was kind of burdened about it. And I was just saying, oh God, would you meet his need? Would you help him with this situation? Would you bring some money into his life and so on? And I kept having this thought in my head, you give him $50. You give him $50. You give him 50 You know, I was getting a little annoyed with that thought. 
And so I, I just kept praying more fervently. And God, would you meet his needs? You give him $50. And finally I'm thinking, is that God telling me to give him $50? And so I said, God, are you wanting me to give Lewis $50? And I had this strange peace come upon me that I've come to understand is God's confirmation. And I'm like, but I don't have $50 to give him. And I began a little, to be a little frustrated with that. And so I, 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 in frustration, I said, God, it seems like you're wanting me to give my friend $50. But I don't, have, I don't even have 10 I was a broke freshman in college. And so finally, in exasperation, I said to God, if you want me to give Lewis $50, you give me $50. <laughs> and again, this peace just came over me. And I was like, okay. And so I went to bed. The next day I got up, I went over to the student union building and had a little breakfast. And I went down to my uh, student mailbox, opened it up, and there was a letter. And inside the letter was $50. I was like, wow, I could give you a hundred stories like that. But the point is, is that Christ had not only pursued me. Can you give me that second one there, Todd? Thank you. But he had... Changed me. He was beginning to change me in this whole interaction, in this whole relationship thing. As I would interact with him, that interaction was changing me. It wasn't too long thereafter that uh, this guy that was involved in a campus ministry group contacted me and said, Hey, Scott, we are about to have a week-long backyard Bible school uh, deal with these kids that live over here in this project. Why don't you come and do that? Listen, I had never done kids. I would never done backyard Bible clubs. I barely knew the Bible myself. I didn't have a clue what he was talking about. But I had that sense inside when he asked me, God wanted me to do it. And so I said, yes, I'll, I'll, I'll do that. And so the next week, I am with all these little kids from these projects. I didn't know one of them. Never hung with kids. It wasn't like I didn't like them. I just never hung with them. And now I'm playing games with them. <laughs> and I'm doing little craft things with them. I'd never done crafts. And I was doing a little Bible studies, you know, and I was kind of like having to learn the Bible 30 minutes before I went out there. And it was dynamite in my life. And he was using all that to change me. About another week later, this guy who was a senior, who was studying to be a minister, came up to me and said, Hey, Scott, listen, next week I've got to preach at this youth rally. And I was like, youth rally, Okay. And it's going to be over in such and such city. And I'm wondering, would, I, I need an athlete to come and give a testimony when I preach. Would you come and do that? I mean, no kidding. I didn't know what a testimony was. And so I was like, okay, so what is a testimony? And he said, well, basically, it's just you tell others what Jesus is doing in you. And I'm like, wow, well, he's doing stuff in me. I got something to say. I said, okay. So the next week, on a Friday night, I get in a car with him. We drive over to this other city to do this youth rally. And we, we pull up to this mammoth building. Now, when I'm thinking rally, I'm thinking about 15 kids in a room. There was between five and 600 kids in this auditorium. And did I say, I don't do crowds? And I don't do talking. And, and I'm like, <laughs> you know, what am I going to do? And so... Uh, we get to the point in this whole rally time where I was supposed to go up and give this little five-minute thing about what Jesus has been doing in my life. And I got up, and God gave me words. And as I was taking steps for Him, I got grace and power. 
It was over with. I sat down. I know the guy said something. I don't have a clue. The thing was over, and teenagers from all over the room were coming to talk to me about Jesus. I mean, it was just so dynamic. It was changing my life to see God at work in that kind of way. A few weeks later, I get a telephone call. And on the other end of the phone is this pastor that I've never met. And he says, hey, I'm so-and-so, and I'm a pastor of such-and-such church, and I'm wondering if you'd be willing to meet with me and a few people from my church and talk with us because we're looking for a youth pastor. I've heard about you. And I'm like, what? But as he said that, I, that same kind of peace came upon me that I should talk to these guys. So I said, sure, I'll talk with you. So we go to a, they come the next week, we go to this little restaurant, and they're kind of telling about themselves and telling about their church and their youth group and all this. And then they said, so tell us, you know, your thoughts about youth ministry and all that. And I'm like, I don't know anything about it. How's that for a good interview? Uh, you know, I, I, kids matter to me, and I, I've really been having God do some stuff in my life lately. And it's changing my life. And if I can help another kid have that kind of relationship with Jesus, then I want to help with that. But I don't know anything about youth ministry. They said, you're hired. And in another week, I'm now going to a church that I've never been, hanging with people that I've never seen, doing a work called youth pastor that I'd never done. And they say, oh, by the way, that means uh, not just youth like junior high and high school, typical definition, but uh, that's over all the children. I was like, like what? And so from that Sunday on, I began leading children's church every Sunday. I'd never seen a children's church service. I had no clue. And they said, well, you know, you do some songs, you give a talk, all this kind of stuff. I'd never given talks. I began to put talks together, and, I, and nobody had ever shown me how to put a talk together. I had no idea there was curriculum out there. Kids, all this kind of stuff for like children's church. I called up a couple of friends that I knew did children's ministry and said, you've got to show me a song. And they started showing me these little songs, you know, with these little movements and all <laughs> Every Sunday, man, I'm up there with the children doing the little songs and then doing the little talks. And it was dynamite. We went from like six kids to like 35 kids and so on. And the next thing I know, the youth are all playing hooky from church and they start coming to children's church. And I'm like, well, if you're coming in here, you're helping. And so the next thing I know, I got a team. I never built a team. I didn't know what a ministry team was. But I got these guys that said, hey, we want to help. And so they started like playing the music and doing the songs and doing testimonies. I told them what one was. <laughs> it was powerful. The next thing I know, a few parents are sitting on the back row. I just want to check it out. But they were checking it out like every week. You know, it was, it was amazing. It was a lot of fun. And the pastor it was going on a vacation. He said, I'm going to be gone for a couple of weeks. I want you to come and talk to the adults. Will you, will you give the, the Sunday sermons? I'm like, you're kidding me. A year ago, I slept through sermons every week. And now you want me to deliver them. And what I began to find out is that Christ wanted to use me and was using me. I, I, I didn't know anything other than what He was doing in me. And, and I would say to these kids, let's ask God to do miracles. Let's pray for people and see what God does for these people. And it was changing their lives. 
And they began to take the Bible seriously. And they began to follow commandments like honor your mother and your father. And their moms and dads were paying attention. And they were like, what's going on with my kid? And soon their hearts were being turned toward Christ. And they began to be servants of God within the church when they had just been like attending people. And it was some of the most dynamic, life-changing, life-filling stuff I'd ever been a part of. So much so, I almost dropped out of college. I mean, I was so taken with what God was doing in me and with this church. I was like, I don't want to go to school anymore. This is it. I just want to do this. You know what? It was a simple exchange of Jesus coming upon me and in me and then through me. And He's done that millions, dare I say, billions of times through others. And that's your story for many of you in this room. Jesus said in John 7:38, Whoever believes in me, as the Scripture has said... Out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. See, nobody ever came and said, if you're going to be a good Christian, you've got to serve Jesus. Jesus is going to frown at you if you don't begin to yield your life to him. Nobody ever used guilt stuff on me. They didn't use manipulation stuff on me. They didn't try to emotionally jerk me around about all this stuff. I just had this river flowing into me. And I wanted it to flow out. And, and, and friends, that is what we're talking about when we talk about we are on mission with Him and for Him. It all comes out of this relational connect. He brings it in, He brings it out of us to others. So we've been praying for these weeks. We've been asking God to do things that God's already said, I want to do it. Just ask me to. And today we're praying, God, would you make us missional? God, would you make us people that are on mission with you and for you? And we're going to pray that prayer in a minute. But before we do, I just want to talk to you about a couple of scriptures that bring it all into context. And I'm going to ask you already for you to begin to think about, is this a prayer you, you will pray? Is this a prayer that you'll utter to God with a whole heart, knowing He's going to answer it? Here's the scriptural context for it all. Matthew 28, 19 tells us the words of Jesus to His followers, to Christians. Go make disciples of all peoples. All nations, all ethnicities, all language groups. You just go all over the world and make disciples. That's the mandate. That's the command. That's the the expectation of what He has for us. And then in the next verse, He says, I will be with you always, even until the end of the age. I mean, when I was uh, speaking at a youth rally that I was totally caught off guard about when I'm working with little children that I'd never hung with before, when I'm now serving in a church as a youth pastor with a thought had never even occurred to me, etc. He was with me. He was with me. He was with me. I will be with you always until the end of the age. That's the promise. And then the third text I want us to think about is John 3.36 when Jesus said, 
Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son will not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. In other words, we're all born with a fallen nature. We're all born already at odds with God. The only hope we have of not being at odds with God anymore is that Jesus comes upon our life and He reconciles us with God. He makes it right between us and God. He said, you come to the Son, you get that life. I'll save you, I'll reconcile you, I'll make things right. You don't come to me, then the wrath remains on you. Friends, that's the stakes. That's the stakes. That's what's at stake. That's what's in the balance. It's eternity in the balance. It's life and death in the balance. So I want to make sure you got it. Go into the world and make disciples of all peoples is the mandate. I will be with you always is the the promise. Those that have the Son have life. Those that don't have the Son don't have life. That's the, the stakes. That's what's at stake. So when we're praying that God would make us missional, it's in keeping with that mandate, that promise, and those stakes. So let me quickly just answer seven questions. It's going to be very brief about how all this happens. Whom does God use? Yeah, it's nice that God used Scott, that God might use some other people that are in the room today. I don't know that God would use me. Whom would God use? Well, we're told in the Bible that God uses children, God uses youth, God uses women, God uses men. Now, if you're outside of those categories, He's probably not going to use you. But if you're in one of those categories, count on it. Psalm 8.2 tells us that God has taught children and even infants to tell of His strength. There's something of praises for God that happens even out of children. Of course, when we think about youth, there's the Jeremiah's, there's the Josiah's, there's the Timothy's. I mean, we could go on and on about how God used a number of youth through the ages. And then the Bible is just filled with stories of how He used women, how He used men. Whom does God use? He uses everyone. When does God use us? Well, all through our childhood and youth, all through our young adulthood, all through those middle years, and all the way to old age. Other than that, He won't use you. But in those parameters, He uses you all the time to be on mission for Him. Psalm 71, Since my youth, O God, you have taught me, and to this day I declare your marvelous deeds. Even when I am old and gray, do not forsake me, O God, till I declare your power to the next generation. Let me tell one more generation. Let me tell one more generation. Number three, why does God use us? Think about it. Six billion people on the planet, and I would be in my dorm room saying, God, would you financially meet the needs of Lewis? And God says, here's how it's going to happen. I'm going to give you 50, you give 50 to him. How does a great God get that involved in such minutia? Why? To proclaim His excellence. To declare His glory and His greatness. To point others to God. Friends, again, this is all relationally 
based. See, I was able to tell people about His excellence because I was experiencing His excellence. I was able to tell people or, or, or show people about how good and how great and how uh, faithful He is because that was how I was experiencing Him. 1 Peter 2.9 You are a chosen race. You are a royal priesthood. You are a holy nation, a holy people. So you can declare His praises. You can tell about how He's called you out of darkness into His wonderful light. I mean, if that's your story, things were really dark here, but I was following Jesus and He brought me into more and more light, then that is powerful in the lives of others. And then number four, how does God use us? Well, God uses our mouths to tell others what He has done. God uses our good works to care for people, uh, to meet their needs, to help them in a time of crisis, all of which points toward Him. He uses our family life, whether it's the nuclear family of mom, dad, kids, and whatever, or like the church family and community, to demonstrate His love for us. When a family loves one another well, I learn what his love for me is like. And he uses our devotion to reveal his goodness to others. When your heart becomes devoted to him, taken with him, like almost obsessed, not in a sick way, but in a, in a wondrous way with him, people say, you know, who is this God that he, that she, would be that devoted. And he uses our invitations for others to come and to see. You remember Andrew, who was a fisherman, and he had kind of encountered Jesus, and he says to his brother Peter, here's the man that I think is the Messiah, come and see. And Peter did. And he says the same thing to James and to John, come and see. And when they get into proximity of Jesus, uh, Jesus says, what, so what are you doing? They said, well, we kind of wanted to hang with you a little bit. And he says, come and see. And I was, that's what was going on in my freshman year in college. I just kept asking Jesus to show me something of himself. And he just kept saying, come, see. And now we have the privilege of making that invitation to others. Hey, come to worship with me this Sunday. See what God might do. What God might say. Hey, come to my share group. Just see what God might do in that circle of friends. Hey, come to this, you know, MOPS meeting, this ESL gathering, this uh, event that we're doing over here. Whatever it is, just, just come and see. That's the kind of stuff he'll use. Five, where does God use us? Well, some of it happens locally. Some of it happens globally. That's why we coined that little phrase, glocal. It's both global and local. We're told in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, Jesus said, You will be my witnesses, telling people what you see about me and experience about me, everywhere. In Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, ends of the earth. And of course, you kind of take that out on a map, Jerusalem being kind of like right at home, your family, your close friends. Let them see what I'm doing in your life 
those that have great proximity with you. And then Judea, those that you kind of know or maybe they're acquaintances and you traffic with them through work or recreation or whatever, you're a witness to them. And then those in a greater region, Samaria, around the world. You know, around the world? Me? Yeah, you. You realize there are 15,965 people groups in the world. Wow. And those that study that kind of thing tell us that 6,434 of those people groups are unreached for Jesus. That means in that people group there is not an indigenous community of Christ followers with the wherewithal to share the message for their entire people group. 6,434 of those kinds of unreached groups. And it totally raises the question, who will go? Who will reach those people? And you go, well, surely not me. And I go, just ask. So let me just say, at least once a year, if not more, I ask God, you, you still want me here. There's so many unreached people groups in the world. Is there anywhere else you want me to go? Because I want to be where you want me to be, doing what you want me to do. And friends, it was 1989 that I was praying that very prayer. When God said, you know what, I, I am ready for you to go. I want you to go out to Washington State. That stuff happens. But not all the time. My point is, those of us that are missional have that heart that is bent toward God that says, I serve at your pleasure. I serve for you. I will be on mission for you wherever, however you want that. It's a blank check. You endorse it any way you want to. When we pray in a moment, God, make us missional, it will be a prayer that includes that kind of heart that says, I'll go anywhere and do anything. He may want you to go to Redmond and do life and ministry through Meadowbrook, and that'll be cool. He may want you to go somewhere else. Then in the sixth place, what does it cost us for God to use us? I, I can't lie to you. I can't hide that from you. There's a cost. And so I, I'm going to read just a, a few verses in Matthew chapter 10, verse 16 and following. And, and listen real carefully. We're almost through. Okay, listen real carefully. Jesus was uh, in mission with some of his followers, and he sends them out and he says these things to them. I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves. Uh-oh. Therefore, be as shrewd as snakes and as innocent as doves. Boy, that's a curious word from Jesus already. Be on your guard against men. They will hand you over to the local uh, councils. They will flog you in the synagogues. On my account, you will be brought before governors and kings as witnesses to them and to the Gentiles. But when they arrest you, uh-oh, Do not worry. Uh-oh. 
Do not worry about what to say or how to say it. At that time, you will be given what to say, for it will not be you speaking, but the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. There's that river of life flowing through you again. Brother will betray brother to death and a father his child. Children will rebel against their parents and have them put to death. All men will hate you because of me. But he who stands firm to the end will be saved when you are persecuted in one place, flee to another. I tell you the truth, you will not finish going through the cities of Israel before the Son of Man comes. A student is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is enough for the student to be like his teacher and the servant like his master. That's enough. If the head of the house has been called Beelzebub, a devil... How much more the members of his household, people will call you devilish. So do not be afraid of them. There's nothing concealed that will not be disclosed or hidden that will not be made known. What I tell you in the dark, speak in the daylight. What is whispered in your ear, proclaim from the roofs. Do not be afraid of those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet not one of them will fall to the ground apart from the will of your Father. Even the hairs of your head are all numbered, so do not be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. Let me just briefly comment. What's the cost if you become missional? Well, Jesus said there will be times where you have to contend with authorities. And in some context around the world, that means arrest. But uh, if you're going to be on mission for him and, and stand with him and do life with him, there will be those times where his authority in your life conflicts with the authority of some other arena that you're in. It may have something to do with your work. It may have something to do with the community, etc. Uh, there may be family betrayal. As you began to live for Christ, there may be family members who just cannot tolerate that, who cannot not Respond in a very negative way to that. Been there, done that. There may be those occasions where you're hated by others. And a lot of that will be birthed out of being misunderstood, which is another cost. And, and let me just say, not being understood is one of those things that really bugs me. And it can breed and can lead to people actually just hating you. Not wanting you in their presence. You walk in and they want to walk out. It can result in you being unwelcome. It can result in you being maligned, where things are said about you in condescending, condemning kinds of ways. They're unfair, untrue, unjust, and can lead to being killed. Now, that's not happening much in America, but it sure is happening in India. I get emails every week to pray for believers in India because of the, the killing of Christians that's going on there. It's still happening in China. I could m mention a number of other nations where that kind of thing is going on. But what are the blessings when we are being used? Same text, Jesus mentioned these things that you can count on when you begin to be missional. One is that you're sent by Him. Now imagine that. Six billion people on a planet, 
And God knows there's going to be this gathering of youth and a rally, and He taps someone to tap me and say, will you go give a testimony there? And I was sent to that gathering at that rally, sent by Him to be a youth pastor in a church I'd never heard of, uh, to people I'd never met. God sends us into these contexts and into these uh, opportunities through these open doors. And He then gives us words. He gives us promptings. He gives us nudgings and urgings to, to say this, to do that. The God of the universe giving us promptings, words. That's a blessing, friends. And then to experience His fatherly care. Listen, he says, not even a stinking sparrow, well, actually, that's my word, but he said, not even a, a little sparrow falls to the ground without me knowing about it. And you mean a lot more to me than that little bird. And so when you begin to be on mission with him and for him, there is this kind of fatherly presence. This is my favorite part. Right here. And maybe it's just because, you know, I grew up without the, without the whole father thing. But knowing God as my father is a million bucks to me. And to know his care in that kind of way. And he says, your service then, here's a blessing. What I have you do, what I have you say, no matter how inconsequential it may seem in that moment, counts for all eternity. Playing games with those kids in that project counted for eternity. Changing diapers over here in this nursery counts for eternity because you do it for Jesus. Working with children in CSS and Promised Land and youth and all, all that stuff matters. Every crazy game, every little craft, every little story, it all matters for eternity. What a blessing. Nothing is wasted in that, in that sense. And we are identified with Him. We are considered part of his household. And then we are, in his words, immortal. I'm immortal right now. You go, I think somebody could probably take you out. And her name might be. No, what I'm saying is this, friends. When you are in the hand of God... Because you are His servant and vessel, your own mission, nothing can happen to you unless He allows it. And if He allows it, it's for great, glorious purposes. And if He allows it and it is the ending of my life, then that just takes me home. Friends, I, I am immortal. I got it made. It's to live as Jesus... With all that that involves, to die is gain. How can you live any other way than in that blessed reality? Okay, so we've been praying over these weeks. God, would you make us holy? Set my life apart for you. God, would you make us authentic? Make us real. Make us like Jesus. God, would you make us bold where we're not afraid, where we're not cowering, where we're not succumbing to lack of trust, that we boldly trust you. That's what we've been praying. 
And today we're adding to that. God, would you make us missional? That we do mission with you, for you. Listen, I've just told you the, what's behind all that the best I know how. He's pursued us. This whole engagement changes us. Inexplicably but gloriously, He uses us. Will you pray that? Will you be that? Let's bow. You've got your head bowed, maybe your eyes are closed. Maybe you just want to turn your palms up in kind of this receiving way where God's going to, to bless you. Maybe you just want to put your, your hands out or up. I, whatever posture turns you to the Lord. Father, we recognize that we are an unworthy people. There's nothing particularly winsome about us. But you love us. You pursue us. You choose us. You change and transform us. You tap us to go on mission. And so here we are, Father, at this moment. We pray with a whole heart. God, make us missional that every day in every part of every day we are on mission with you for you in the powerful name of Jesus Amen